Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. You're listening to a bonus segment brought to you by We Are Seek and Strike Podcast. If you follow us on Twitter, IG, or Facebook, give us a shout right now as you listen to this episode. We love the engagement. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and today my guests are from the independent podcast that covers Colorado soccer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Pollard and Mark Goodman on the episode from Holding the High Line. Gentlemen, up, how you Chris? doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great, doing great. Hey guys, what's going on, Mark? How you doing? Fantastic, hanging, living, living that life in the basement. You know how it is with podcasting. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm definitely in my bedroom where I do all my pods. I finally found some good lighting for once after three years of doing this. So I should point out, Chris, Mark and I have a lot of inside jokes that are particular to the podcast. So actually, uh, Rabbi is coming to you from Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, and he's actually coming to you from the Michael Azira Memorial Podcasting Basement. And you on my laptop are currently sitting on the Jeff Lorenowitz Memorial uh, Podcasting Kitchen Island in the greater living room space of my two-bedroom apartment. So um, in, in honor of two players, one who we'll be speaking about and another who just a few days ago uh, hung up his boots for the first time in a Colorado Rapids and an MLS legend as far as I'm concerned. Man, I need to light some candles. This is getting serious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. On this segment, uh, we'll talk about Michael Azira, uh, a man both off the pitch as well as what he brings on the pitch. Lastly, we'll dive into some further discussion about how he can fit in with New Mexico United. Listeners, definitely, we want to see that engagement. Make sure you tweet us. Make sure you like the post. Um of course, no discussion could be complete without delving into stories about United players who have roots from Colorado, matches against the switchbacks and rapids, mm, and especially that stuff you know. It smells so good, that green chili, and places to grab a bite in Colorado when we're there this year because there will be soccer and we will be going to it. Gentlemen, shall we? Let's start it off. So uh, tell me about how you started holding the high line. And I also want to know about any particular characteristics of each of you that fall into the podcast as well. I'll start. Um, uh, Matt and I were both working in uh, the, the, the press box up in, in Colorado and he writes for last word on soccer. And at the time, I think I was writing for Burgundy wave, which is the SB nation site. Um, I have been peripatetic in my career as a soccer writer. So I started with Burgundy Wave, um, moved over to 
uh, a no longer existent uh, MLS site called Around MLS. Uh, in my final in my final weeks, I was the editor because everybody else had quit. Good times. Um, <laughs> and then um, I did freelance. Uh, I and then I wrote. I was the columnist for the Denver Post on the Colorado Rapids for a wee smidgen of time. Um, and uh, and then finally uh, moved over to Pittsburgh, where I I now am covering. Two beats. I, I cover uh, Pittsburgh soccer here for a website called Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And I also am the writer for um, the Holding the High Line media conglomerate. We're trying to grow things out and, and do writing. And, and then Matt, you know, so Matt was, you know, we were, Matt wanted to start a podcast, I think, because there just really wasn't a whole lot of, there was one supporters group led podcast on the Colorado Rapids. And then the team had a podcast that they kind of, Sometimes they had a whole year where they did it a great job and they did it every week. And then they had a whole year where they just forgot to do the podcast. And then the um, supporters group podcast kind of also grew in variable quality, length and cohesiveness. And at some point, Matt was like, you know what? Nobody's really doing a podcast. And at this point, um, it's pretty much just me and him. I don't, there aren't any other Colorado podcasts, bro. Um, and his, you know, he's he's really more of the on the ground reporter guy. And I've kind of been the the color commentator, analyst, stats guy. I did a bunch of writing also for American Soccer Analysis for the last two years. So I'm all over the place, man. Yeah. Um, And then I actually, I started writing when I was in grad school in St. Louis. Chris, we talked about this before I hit the record button. Um, And so I kind of, I needed, I was knee deep in finishing up my master's thesis and I kind of, I needed another hobby or something to kind of get me going or something. And so a bunch of my friends and family members and even people in my lab were saying, well, Matt, you could try online dating and get a girlfriend. And that ended up working (laughs) after about four or five months. And it's like, well, and the other thing everybody said was, you really love soccer. You're a good technical writer from a research standpoint why don't you find a site that like even if you're doing it for free or doing it for peanuts you can just write about soccer and whatever you want this was going into the winter prior to st louis fc rest in peace uh going into their inaugural season so that's how i started first job came back uh offered was in denver so came back to colorado obviously and then funny enough i don't know if mark actually remembers this but so the first time that we actually met in person we had been following each other on twitter like commenting on each other's articles mine for last word me in the comment section at burgundy wave and mark had a relatively anonymous profile he was at rapids underscore rabbi at the time i think he just had um uh, the club crest as his main photo and so we sit down and we're eating pizza i believe this was the open cup game mark that dylan cerna scored uh against the switchbacks one nil in 2016 and we were talking for like five minutes and i'm like i don't recognize you i haven't seen you in the pot i haven't seen you in the press box before do i know you and you're like oh i'm mark goodman i'm rapids rabbi so that is our and then so to, to that point i think but both of us independently had the thought going into the 2018 mls season of there's not a high quality like an equivalent like the Every single team in MLS, no matter how good, no matter how big or how popular in their market, deserves to have a quality, you know, well-informed, good guest, well-edited podcast to exist. And so why did the Colorado Rapids not have the equivalent (laughs) of Seeing Red or of uh, Corner of the Galaxy, for example, or Cincinnati Soccer Talk? And so our thought was, this is a thing that should exist. This is a thing that if it existed, I would be 
listening to every single week. This is probably something that other people wish existed. And so I'm like, well, I kind of want to start a podcast. I reach out to Mark and Mark was like, yeah, that actually sounds like a good idea. Let's start a podcast. And and now we regret every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. We we love it. Right on, right on. Well, just for 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 your for your sake as well as any new listeners we might have. I mean, uh, you know, Seek and Strike Collective as as the writing piece uh, came about. Um, you know, pretty much in tandem with uh, the launching of New Mexico United. Um, I wanted to essentially cover the team. You know, getting in at, at ground floor, and so it was like, well. I'm a season ticket holder, so I will already be at every home match. I'll be able to, you know, have the access. And reality was, you know, it was at least a month before I got any sort of media access. So, you know, obviously, as you know, writing articles without having official sound bites from, you know, any players, is pretty much just strictly your, your experience. So all you could do is kind of color it and kind of give people a little bit of the vibes. And then, you know, of course, once you can get some access, you can get some quotes, you can get you know, just a little bit extra to kind of make it seem a little bit more insider. Um, so that's what that's what was going on with Seek and Strike Collective. And then, you know, I had a couple of of co co partners. I had um, another gent, uh, Seth, and then as well as um, um, my buddy Josh, and um, and then we added Alicia, who is my current co host on the podcast. And we added Adri as well, who's another uh, woman who joined. And she she translated our articles in the Spanish. She also added commentary to the podcast. So we had a nice, tight, tight crew. Um, so the We Are Seek and Strike podcast kind of came about maybe a few months. Maybe uh, It came about, about April. And really, I didn't think about doing the podcast until year two. I thought the writing content was enough. But, you know, my friend Josh really specialized more in the audio aspect. So... I said, okay, well, let's just try a podcast. So we were sitting in my living room and, you know, it was everything that a beginning podcast is. It's let's bring some good food to the table and talk about what we're eating. Let's, <laughs> you know, let's just happen to sit in the living room on 4th of July and we, we can't distinguish whether it's firecrackers or gunshots going off, you know, and, and we went through all of um, – the things that come with a podcast we recorded in so many different places we recorded episodes that didn't take and we were on a roll you know so um you know we are seeking strike podcast acronym wasp w-a-s-s-p for the black and yellow is uh is kind of the vantage point of of the of the podcast right the stinger you know so um that's where we are at full circle covering new mexico soccer um you know the slogan of the podcast is striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. And that's what we're really trying to do is just cover all the different aspects of footy here in the state and, uh, you know, and bring on cool people like you guys and kind of mash it up and create some awesome content that everyone can enjoy on both sides. Good stuff, Chris. Uh, I should point out in case listeners are curious, uh, holding the high line is technically a triple entendre. So I'll, I'll Ooh. let people figure that out. Mm. You know, I just love a man who's good with his words. So Matt Pollard, man, you're already <laughs> you're already romancing me here. Okay, so uh, I should I should point out for the listeners who cannot see this, um, some point later on, I'm sure we'll have to release the video just for just for extra content. But um, Soccer Rabbi is actually sitting here in the Burgundy Rapids kit. Um, on the back is our man of the hour, 
Michael Azira, and it's an autographed kit as well. Um, go ahead and spin around. Look at that. He's got the autograph on the the right. Oh, he's got he's got writing on both twos actually. It says thank you, and then it's signed by Michael Azira. Uh, that that is awesome. And then of course Matt over here has got this minty fresh minty green. The new uh colorado rapids kit um tell me a little bit about it and then tell the listeners uh, that the marketing team went a little further than just selling you a kit they actually gave you an experience yeah sure chris so uh this is technically the class five kit so in hiking in general but uh i guess uh, particular to colorado and other rocky mountain areas are different trails that you have of different difficulty class one being the easiest and class five being you know you're chiseling little nails into the wall and then you know climbing up scaling without a rope um like the the documentary with the guy who climbed i don't remember whatever peak it was like without a rope and he was the first one to do it in any case so it's called the class five kit and and then uh, I don't know how well you're going to be able to see on the video. It doesn't look great on photo. It looks really easy up front actually seeing the kit. So um, not maintaining social distancing in order to see the details. There's actually <laughs> topographical lines. And then they have um, uh, little cutout areas that are actually five peaks, five of the 14ers, of which there are 51 in Colorado that um, peaks that are in excess of 14,000 feet above elevation. And so we have Pikes Peak, which is down in the Springs. Uh, Sam Vines will be very familiar with that. Uh, you can probably see it from the new Switchback Stadium that we might be talking about a little bit later. And then uh, the only 14er that you can drive to, um, Mount Evans, and then Beerstad is right next to it. And then one of the only collection of two 14ers that you can do in the same day, uh, Grays and Tories, that are a very good I say intro, but a, a first-timer, a 14er virgin doing their first 14ers. Uh, Grace and Tories were actually my first two 14ers that I did. So you can see those in little detail that we have there. And then they sent to uh, the club sent out a, a little experience kit for um, me and a few other members of the media. We got a little fancy granola bar, um, a compass that I'll be taking with me for 14ers as well. Um, and then some fresh, uh, I guess we can call them fresh picked, uh, very well scented, naturally scented pine cones. So um, they, I, I, in the backdrop, it probably doesn't look super obvious. This looks like a slightly green version of just the generic, you know, mostly white kits that I think USL fans rightfully should deride MLS and just the single entity <laughs> nature of the relationship with Adidas with, but some clubs have put on a little bit of a spin, um, I think it was, yeah, it was Atlanta two years ago that had their white kit, but then they had orange for the uh, Georgia peaches and everything. So the, they did a really good job with this. This wasn't, hey, Adidas saying, hey, Rapids, here's your kit. Put some marketing stuff around it to actually show that it makes sense, like calling a white kit the black diamond kit and have no black nor any diamond on it. They designed <laughs> this with the intention of this is about Colorado for Colorado. It is hashtag Colorado for life. Um and I'm all about it. And part of the proceeds for both this kit that they're selling um, on their store at MLSsoccer.com. And they also have a little patch that's similar to the topography top of, I think, Mount Evans. Um, a, por a portion of that will be going to CFI, the Colorado 14ers initiative. Um, our state obviously was decimated by wildfires for the better part of five months because 2020 last year. And those trailhead areas need to be uh, redeveloped and preserved for both human enjoyment um, and the natural ecological system. So knocked it out of the park other than the fact that the lines don't look super obvious on this video stream right now right yeah that that kit like i said is is fire it looks nice and 
you know, some some of the New Mexico United fans that also enjoy the Rapids would probably definitely like the kit. I know some people are going to be looking for some outdoor adventure, so they might feel like uh, taking in some of the uh, the the trails, and uh, maybe they might reward themselves with the kit. So that's that's rad. So, um, kind of getting into our man Michael Azira. You know, I really wanted to, and, and like, so before we got this episode going, you know, I talked to Matt and I was like, you know, I really wanted to get your guys' vantage point on Michael Azira, you know, since he spent some time there. And really, I was really um, met with excitement from Matt about, yeah, we'd love to talk about Michael Azira. We have plenty to say. And I was like, okay, this is great. We got to do it. So, you know, let's start off, like you said, Michael Azira, the man off the pitch. Uh, Mark, I believe you, you've you got some stories to kind of tell us about Michael Zira. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, um, I pitched uh, The Athletic with uh, asking them, you know, I think Michael Azira's got a great story as a person. You know, would you guys do a freelance article? And they said yes. And so I called up Mike. I called the club and the club set me up with Mike. And um, we met up at a Starbucks close to the stadium uh, like a couple hours after training and you know i think one of the first jokes i crack with him i think i threw this in the article but um was you know i'm surprised you'd meet with me at a starbucks you know don't you think like fans are going to recognize you and we're just going to be bothered the whole time and he just started very politely chuckling and say ho 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 no one except my wife knows who i am except you you know it's like he's just (laughs) And he has that um, staccato Ugandan accent. Um, I went to a rabbinical school uh, in Los Angeles, and one of my uh, a guy who was two years behind me was the first Ugandan rabbinical student ever on the planet. Um, and he's now, no joke, the chief rabbi of Uganda. So that kind of so I had a little bit of background. So I, when I was able to ask Mike, I'm like, you know, how many languages do you speak? Because um, my buddy uh, Gershom, he speaks, you know, like four because that's you have to speak the the native uh, uh, Luganda, and then uh, you have a tribal language. His was uh, uh, my friend was my friends was Luguelo, um, and Mike speaks three. You know English and Luganda and his tribal language, which I forget what it is right now. But it's um, uh, he's a really interesting guy um, in terms of a player. He's he's got a an atypical story. I think a, a lot of African players come up with a club and get poached or pinched by a big academy in Europe or by an American academy or an American college coach or something like that. And um, first of all, Uganda's not really on the beaten path of regular, you know, African nations that get players called up. You know, it's it's not um, Cameroon or um trying to think uh you know there's a couple other countries where you the ivory coast yeah 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 where you see you know they 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 make a splash in the african cup of nations every year uganda isn't you know they're not uh they're not a a soccering powerhouse um so mike was discovered at like a training by a college coach from a small coach um in tennessee and he went to that division three school and after a year there another coach was like hey you know why don't you come to our school? It's bigger. Um, and you might, you might, you know, be more successful. So he transferred to, I think a division two school. Um, he graduated from there. He was like their, their all-time best player. He was all league and everything. Um, and he had a buddy who was playing USL soccer, um, Henry Kalungi. 
And Henry said, Hey, why don't you come in and, and play with me? Um, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll, I told the coach about you. And so he came in and he played with them, um, in the USL at Charlotte battery, uh, Charleston battery. Charleston battery. And, um, and that he, he did really well. And that earned him a transfer to Seattle Sounders two. uh, Sounders two picked him up and brought him to one, you know, that's his, like, you know, his origin story, but, but what you need to know out of that. And when you ask the question, like, what's he like as a person is the dude is humble. You know, um, I remember when I interviewed him, he was really low key about his background. I asked him, you know, what are your parents do for a living and how'd you grow up? And he was very like kind of mild mannered about it. He's like, you know, my, my dad, you know, drove a truck and, uh, or drove a bus and, and my mom cleaned houses. And, um, and then a couple of years after I wrote the article, he wrote an article for the, for the players tribune. And he, he, he really kind of like was a little bit more, transparent and was basically like i grew up hard and poor in the capital of uganda and um you know i take nothing for granted and so i think that that's that kind of like came from nothing grinded his whole career um you know played you know he's he's the uh, the epitome of like low-income working class third world for lack of a better term or developing country or global south depending on what you prefer to use um soccer which was you know he played with the ball that he had which sometimes was held together with duct tape and he never saw grass for the first 10 years of his soccer career he just played on dirt um and that was normal and that kind of developed certain skills but also develops a, a mentality where working hard is not a problem. And and the last thing I'll say about Mike is, you know, I asked him about, um, you know, his, his philosophy of like what it takes to be a good defensive midfielder. And he just said the most beautiful thing. And I, I just, I'll never forget it. He said, you have to love to run. Um, and, and I think that that, that really meant a lot to me uh, about who the man is, but also about how he thinks of the position of defensive midfielder, which is, if you just tear ass all over the field and you don't quit and you don't get tired and you don't say my legs are feeling it, you just keep your motor running nonstop, you'll be successful. And and I think that's the man's ethos as a defensive midfielder. That's really awesome. Um, so Mark, when you, you know, just in that time, like sitting with him, I mean, what is it like just, just thinking about the fact, you know, you, you, you spoke on his humility, you spoke on, you know, some of his transparency um, just with you. But I mean, you know, after that experience, I mean, what are some of the things you, you saw him do kind of in that community? You know, um, if you can speak on that a little bit. Yeah, I'll say one other thing before that, which is Matt can speak to this too. Um, one of the things that you remember Mike for more than anything is you, you at, at, in Colorado, the press box to, to you go from the press box to down to where the um, the, uh, the the dressing room is the the uh, the the boot room um, to do player interviews and you do them in a hallway uh, you know right by the washing machines basically by the service entrance it's it's a classy organization <laughs> <laughs> and um, and one of the enduring memories that I'll always have of Mike is more so than most other players you would always, always, always find as you were going to do your interviews, one of his little kids uh, running through the hallway 
um, to go see him. And Mike has, I think, three kids now, maybe two. I don't remember. But they were little, little guys when he was at Colorado. Um, and it was they were I mean, they are adorable, adorable children. And they were like his 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 oldest was like three at the time. And, um, uh, you know, his his wife was always at the game. She was a former college soccer player, too. And, you know, family was family's really important to Mike. I think that's the other thing um, that 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 shone through. There were other players who you knew were, were married or had kids, but you did not get to see their their kids. And Mike's family was at every game. Um, the other thing you asked about was like how he like his community uh, presence at home. Yeah. He has a foundation. Uh, it's called like the Azira 32 Foundation. Um, and he goes back to uh, Uganda all the time. He brings, um, this was a nice story. He, um, he brought, I think he, he, he turned to the Chicago fire, I think this year and said to them like, Hey, um, you know, uh, I need some, I need some kits. And the fire said, Hey, that's great to, to, to take back to Uganda to give to some guys. And they he said, Hey, that's great. Actually, we're, we're getting rid of all these kits because we're changing, you know, our crest, um, take all of these. And then in the end, I think they wound up not changing the jerseys. I don't remember the, the, the whole story. And Mike had to ask them like, do you guys want the kits back? And they said, no, no, take them. So he gave like hundreds of, of jerseys to, and he does that every year. He, he, he raises money um, for a school in Uganda. I think um, he, he, he's back every year. He wants to pay it forward. He, he, he really believes that like he, he, his responsibility as a soccer player um, and an African soccer player is he came from nothing. He had a few opportunities. He got lucky. He made it out. And so he's there to kind of uplift his brothers um, back home, which is like a beautiful sentiment. And, and I can't, I can't speak more highly of him and the caliber of who he is as a person. The last thing I'll say is, is this, which was, you know, as a, as a, as a player with the Rapids, you know, he was part of a four, two, three, one, and his his battery mate on the back line in defensive midfield was Sam Cronin, and they had like a magical like uh, mind meld level connection. And I asked him about it; he was really low key about it. Um, he he would just always compliment Sam on being you know such a talented player. And you know I think both of them were exceedingly talented. I think we thought um, both would have long uh, careers in MLS. Um, sadly, Sam had a uh, concussion the year after he left Colorado and went to Minnesota. Um, and, you know, Mike is actually his career kind of, um, he, 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 he peaked with the Rapids. You know, he was, he was part of one of the best defenses in 2016, any soccer team in North America has ever had. Um, and after that, the next year, the coach didn't use him quite right. The year after that, the coach didn't do, know what to do with him at all. And then he bounced around the league a little bit. Um, he didn't see a lot of time with with uh, Chicago last year, so you know he's he's really in a different place as a player um, coming up this this upcoming season. Right on, and I know uh, <clears throat> like you know I've been able to kind of see just a little bit of his engagement with our community here. I mean, um, there was a soccer clinic put on uh, by the club and the club's foundation, the Somos Unidos Foundation, um, namely for uh black youth uh just as they're really trying to bring the game to these these black youth because i mean for the most part i mean i can kind of attest to this like being a, a black gentleman myself is that you know soccer really wasn't you know a sport that was really 
you know, marketed to black youth in America. I mean, mainly it's just basketball and football for the most part. And so, you know, I'm, you know, just barely learning about soccer. Casually, I would say I, I watched it, you know, um, World Cup 98. But I mean, to really follow it now and to really be sunk in is maybe just before the inception of this team. So to really see uh, Michael there is one of the coaches along with um, another gentleman who retired last year who stuck around, David Estrada, um, also a Seattle Sounder at some point. Um to see them like kind of teach some skills to these kids and see these kids after 30 minutes, you know, pick up some general soccer skills, you know, be able to dribble, be able to, you know, multi-directionally pass, you know, be able to, you know, plant, take shots was, was really awesome. And something I know that he's really committed to kind of still doing. And, and it's really nice, I think for the black youth of Albuquerque, New Mexico, to be able to see, you know, an older gentleman who, who looks like them, who can kind of, you know, who can kind of ambassador the game, so to say, to them, you know. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that kind of goes. But, um, yeah, so kind of shifting gears from Michael Azura, the person off the pitch, to Michael Azura, the person on the pitch and what he brings uh, tactically and strategically. I know, Matt, you spoke on this a little bit, like, before we recorded, that you that you definitely got quite a bit of information to share uh, with with us the listeners today as well yeah i mean you know mike's a fantastic number six but he also at least the one of the the mottos that mark and i have with the podcast is anytime you're talking about any position if there's one skill set that really stands out then that player might be a one-trick pony or the the marker of a great player is that there's not one key skill that really sticks out for them if the only thing you remember about a winger is that they're fast but you don't remember them finishing that well then they're somewhat of a one-trick pony Mike's not particularly fast. He's strong, but he's not the strongest. He can put in a solid tackle. He's capable, not that it's in his nature, but he can do some conca calfing when it needs to. But there's not really one of those things that kind of sticks out with him. So contrasting him to Sam Cronin, whose nickname with the when he was with the San Jose Earthquakes, um, you know, back in the old days of the Goonies when they won the supporter shield and then coming to Colorado, both fan bases referred to him as Cronin the Barbarian, and that fit him <laughs> to a T. You know, Mike will a Mike was able to be super tenacious on the field stand up for his teammates deliver a hard tackle take a yellow card give out a yellow card and then he'd come off the field and you know his kids would round the corner at dsg as mark and i were talking about and they'd say daddy and he'd pick up his you know his his oldest at three or four years old in the middle of the interview and be all smiles and super bubbly but i think that kind of speaks to all everything about him is about work ethic and about effort not necessarily one skill set that he has really good if there was one thing that i say even in mls that he was elite in that was one of the hallmarks of the Rapids in 2016 when they were um, they went into the final day of the season with a chance to cleanse to the Supporters' Shield and were one goal away in the Western Conference Finals from hosting MLS Cup. That was him and Sam Cronin playing together. And so they'd kind of lure in the opposing attacking team like a boa constrictor almost. And then <laughs> um, and then Cronin would make a tackle, get the ball away, and then just toe-poke it to Mike three or four yards away, maybe, maybe no more than 10 yards away from that area. And and immediately the opponent would start to counter press on him and Mike could just do like one little toe move and then play out to the fullback the Rapids had or another wide player he is so good at creating those little transition moments and he does it you know for a player who was never making more than 
I mean, Mark, was he ever more than like 150,000 for his MLS base salary? I think he might've made 221 okay. year. Okay. Okay. Uh, but he, but you know, he's, I think, you know, the average in MLS is like 265 now. So he never made average level money. Yeah. And so, and for an, and for a number of years though, especially when he was with the Sounders, he's making probably not much more than he's going to make for New Mexico this year. And he still did that whole sequence like effortlessly it looked like it didn't take any effort whatsoever and that was the hallmark of you know mark and i will die on the will die on the hill of i don't remember who won defender of the year that year for um for major league soccer it was not a rapids player i think axel schuberg who was the big center back finished second if mark and i could have protest voted we would have protest voted in sam cronin michael azira 2016 with no irony right on so like with with Michael Azira, like how how is he best used in a match? Like, is he someone who, you know, obviously is best used as a starter and he's maybe subbed off after 60? Is he a player that you probably have in the full 90 at times? Or was he a player that maybe was kind of a surge player that would kind of come off like in the second half and and be able to, you know, obviously switch the pitch or change kind of the, the tempo? Like, just how was he used during those times or as you oh. followed him? Um, with the Rapids, particularly in the two years where he really became a Colt here, he was a regular starter. I think I have the stats up. They were playing 34 games that year, and he started 28 in um, 16 and 17 and then played in 31 off the bench for both of them. He didn't really get a, too much of a shout at Montreal or Chicago, but you know, Mark and I can go. I don't know how much New Mexico fans care, given that these are two MLS teams. Those two were dumpster fires. Like the the, the joke that we were making is that like Michael Ozero would come in for the fire after they were down two nil, and that he would immediately like the bleeding would immediately stop with him just sorting things out. And so he'd come off the bench, you know, when Chicago would lose here at Colorado, and like fans would be chanting at the Chicago fire coach as he walked off the fields. You would have won this game if Azira started. So I would say at the USL championship level, even as a guy, you know, who's going in, he's going to be 34 in August. I would expect him to be able to play 90 minutes and be a starter semi-regularly. I don't know. He'll play. You guys are doing 28 games this season. Is it back uh, to normal? 32 games and 27 yeah. weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> so I wouldn't say that he'd be an Iron Man, but, you know, I would say, you know, depending on what, you know, the coaching staff wants to do, rotating out a couple of, you know, if he's in, you know, if there's three defensively minded number sixes or number eights in the lineup, Azira can start half of those games and come off the bench in most of the other ones. Uh, like Mark talked about, he's a really humble guy. He's, you know, he is of and for the team first and foremost. If he scores an absolute banger of a goal, and then you ask him about it after the game, like the first thing that he's going to do is compliment the guy who passed it to him. He does not care about any of the glory of him scoring as well. So, you know, I think, you know, he'll be comfortable in whatever role that he can bring as long as he's helping the team and the team's moving towards something that's worthwhile for him that he got in Colorado, that he got in Seattle, didn't really get in Chicago or Montreal. I would assume he'd have that given the caliber of team and what New Mexico is trying to achieve this season. But, you know, you know, Mike starts, he'll start and he'll do the best that he can. If he's coming off as a super sub to lock things down when they're up one nil against the switchbacks, he'll do the best that he can. If he's going to be, you know, on the bench, not even lineup, he's going to be the biggest cheerleader for the team, uh, wherever the players are sitting in the stadium. I'll just I'll just add that. Uh, well said, Matt. I'll just add that, um, you know, I watched a lot of his games when he was in Montreal um, he was pretty happy to go there because when he got traded from the Rapids, um, he had actually just just before he got traded, he had gotten sent down 
to Colorado Springs switchbacks, which was such a bummer. I mean, it was like um, it, it made sense. He needed to get a little bit of like fitness in because he wasn't coming off the bench at all for Anthony Hudson didn't rate him at all for whatever reason. Um, he didn't fit neatly. So formation matters. That's that's, I think, where I was going with this, which is, right. um, you know, under Pablo Mastroeni, he was in a four, two, three, one. And Mike's a really talented positioner. Um, he's good in possession with the ball. He's not very fast, so he's a good dribbler, but he's not going to, like, cut open the, the defense and make these blistering runs. He can, like, he can reorient the defense around him and draw guys in and then dish, but it's not really his main his main jam. And he's not a deadly accurate Andrea Pirlo, you know, deep-lying um, regista type like a uh, passer um he needs a he needs a, a a guy like sam cronin nearby who will do the dirty work and maraud and murder people and he needs uh like a talented left back or um somebody else a talented kind of number eight um both way box to box midfielder who can pass really really well um so the challenge with mike is he's he's ideal in a four two three one in a Five three two, which is what's with which is what Anthony Hudson used. He wasn't as effective because they didn't he didn't find a way to fit, and he was needed to. It's it, when the in the five three two, those three midfielders really have specific and versatile roles. They have to do a lot of different things. They can't be good at. In Mike's case, he's good at like three things. They need to be good at six things. Um, and then in Montreal, they were playing mostly with either a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3. And in the 4-3-3, Mike would come on and he was good, but he he it didn't always work perfectly for him. Um, I think the inter- that it's an interesting question uh, as to as to how you're gonna use him and, and what you're gonna want of him. Here in Pittsburgh, um, I get to watch a guy who's sort of similar in Canardo Forbes. Um, who's a, and I say similar in the sense that he's an older player. So the other thing that's important to remember that we really haven't brought up is because me, you could have intuited this because me and Mike are talking about the good old days in 2016, right? Mike's got some mileage on them legs. You know, he is turning 34 years old this year. And so that, that piece of data enters into everything you asked about, Chris. It, it basically says like, you know, Matt and I might remember him as an Ironman 34, 37 game, you know, 90 minute guy. No sensible coach should do that with a 34 year old player. I'm 44. Like I could barely, you know, get up my stairs with, with the bag of groceries these days. So (laughs) age is, age is real and mileage is for serious. So um, I think what that means is um, I think that Mike could be fine as the back pivot of a four, three, three, or like one of the two shields in a four-two-three-one, um, and I think that that would work fine. If you're asking him to be the Jermaine Jones circa, you know, 2014, 2015, when he was the U.S. men's national team's marauding chaos maker, um, that's not going to work. Like that's gonna, you know, you're gonna wind up having big exposed sections of the pitch. My my assumption is. Um, your head coach in New Mexico probably knows that. 
Yeah, I guess the only thing that I'd add, Mark, a similar now a national team analogy is he is much, much closer to Michael Bradley on that spectrum relative to Jermaine Jones, um, who actually played with Mike um, in 2016 with the Rapids. I guess the other analogy that I was going to add, Mark, I'll retweet your comment. I'll quote retweet your comment on him working in a double pivot in a 4-2-3-1. He would be the Tyler Adams in that relationship relative to a Weston McKinney. Um, so I think the, the thing that we're pointing out, Chris, is that he's good in a couple of really good things and if you put him in a good situation he will be a force multiplier but I think with where he's at from an age standpoint even though he's going down to the USL championship for the first time you know he's not going to be I think this year if he does not play if he isn't a, a, ga- a game and out starter, you know, starting or playing in all 32 games, he'll be he'll be as impactful in the locker room as he would be potentially on the field, given some of his limitations, both talent wise, the fact that most of his career has been based on effort and just trying really hard. And, you know, father time's undefeated and he's coming for Michael Azira and Mike's doing everything that he can to stave it off to win a USL championship and, you know, throw a flaming spear into the heart of Louisville city, hopefully later this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that'll be awesome. Everyone's definitely looking forward to, uh, to October for that matter. Um, something that we really learned about Michael too, uh, you know, at the time that they announced him as a player on this team, it's from the pressers that when Troy was an assistant coach at Charleston battery, you know, that's when Michael zero was kind of in town. And so, you know, there was a point that they had that sort of relationship, that it formed. And, you know, one thing I guess that they kind of had bonded was that there was a point when Michael Azir would come and, and play for Troy, you know? And so, you know, through all that Michael has been, you know, in his journey, you know, now had come the time where it was like, okay, you know, Troy's asking Michael, like, Hey, you know, you know, would you come and play? And, you know, and Michael's like, you know, I, I'm a man of my word, you know? So, you know, he can't, he's coming out to play, you know, for Troy, you know, and so that's, that's one of the things about, about Troy Lesane, you know, being the head coach of this team, you know, what we've seen through three seasons is, you know, every player who's come to New Mexico United, either Troy, you know, was an assistant coach on the staff that the team was, you know, the players were on the team, um, or they're players that in some way scored against a team that Troy was coaching, um, that being namely true about probably about 70% of the team, I'm sure. Um, you know, so he's really just kind of kept a lot of these players probably written down on his notepad of players that he would ideally want as he's building this team. Um, in the first season, United came out in more of a 4 4 2. He would say that it was between a 4 4 2 and a 4 2 3 one at times. The second season, uh, he definitely came out in more of a 3-4-3. You know, the second season, obviously, some of the setback was injury. Um, This team definitely has been plagued by injury through two seasons. Uh, Both center backs were injured for nearly entire all the season. Um, So we only really had Kalen Ryden, you know, who was a beast on his own um, that the team acquired, you know, in the second season. Um, We shifted Josh Suggs out of left back into a winger position. So he was able to play, you know, kind of a mid, but then also shoot up high and be able to, you know, set up crosses and things of that sort. So we had some sort of versatility out of him. So United was in a 3-4-3 last year and would sometimes shift into a 4-2-3-1 defensively um, at times. Now this season, 
you know, and through just through preseason, what we've seen uh, is the team is coming out in a three-five-two. Um, so they're really trying a couple of different looks, um, you know, with with who there is on their back line. We haven't really seen Azira in the lineup because obviously he's had he was called up, you know, for doing international duty. So we haven't seen that look just yet. Um, but like I said, we've seen the three-five-two. Um, Troy Hussain has mentioned that. Um, he's not particularly married to one system that he could shift into a three, four, three or a four, two, three one. He can kind of just have several different looks. Now, as, as someone who's been covering the team, typically when he says I'm not married to one system, he's typically probably married to that system. <laughs> and that's just a way that, you know, you know, he kind of keeps everyone guessing what what he might do next. Um, but he's a clever guy, so I mean, a three five two could easily transform into a three four three at times, given how it needs to be to pull one more person forward. Um, so yeah, so I was just really, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how he utilizes Michael. Um, I mentioned David Estrada prior to this this comment, and David Estrada was definitely. Um, he, he played forward at certain times, but mainly used as uh, a midfielder, more of like a winger type player. And, you know, he's definitely a guy that comes in, kind of changes the tempo of the match, who come in, kind of slow things down. He'd definitely be a distributor. Um, but, you know, off the pitch, humanitarian, you know, uh, you know, launching different efforts in the community, like things along the lines of, you know, bringing kids nutritional snacks and, getting them out to, um, you know, play and exercise, you know, and, you know, the big thing now is reading books along the state, which is something that, you know, David Estrada has kind of been doing through the Somos Unidos Foundation. Um, all that just to say that, you know, while, you know, we really would miss like David Estrada on the pitch and what he, what he's obviously giving New Mexico off the pitch, you know, someone like Michael Azira coming in, you know, being able to probably be used, I would say somewhat similar just in the description you guys have kind of given. And then also what, what he'll do or what he's been doing off the pitch. You know, it's like they're both gentlemen just kind of cut from the same fabric and it's like, we're just totally winning all day long here in New Mexico. So retweet favorite <laughs> <laughs> retweet retweet. Right. So, uh, so let's kind of shift into, uh, is, uh, New Mexico United players that have roots from uh, Colorado. I mentioned them at the, t I mentioned this a little bit offline, but you know, we know Sam Hamilton, you know, was, you know, was, you know, was a part of the, the Rapids organization. Um, Matt, you had some interesting things to say about Sam Hamilton offline. I, I definitely want you to, reiterate those things on this on this podcast yeah. yeah so sam hamilton is part of what's been you know a growing pedigree of guys who maybe were under talented maybe under scouted weren't in one of the big clubs that was easy for you to get scouted by the traditional powers that you have in college soccer and you know he works really hard and got seen in one game by jamie franks the head coach uh for the du pioneers and then got added there and basically you know, similar to what Mike did, albeit at the uh, lower divisions in college soccer, kind of grinded his way to actually getting to the combine and then ultimately drafted by the Rapids. And, you know, there's kind of been a bit of a love affair between the university and 
um, the Rapids now. Obviously, that really started with uh, Courtney Ford, who's a homegrown and finally back healthy for the Rapids. He played four years at DU. He's originally from Greeley, Colorado, which is, you know, a hop, skip and a jump away from where Northern Colorado FC will be playing their games. Last year was their captain and he played alongside Sam Hamilton. Nothing but good things to say about him. You know, Sam was under talented. I think, you know, he was going to have to work really hard and kind of get the right opportunity in order to work with the Rapids. I know at DU, he played a little bit of defensive midfielder and at times at center back. And he isn't the type of center back that at least the Rapids were looking for at that time. They wanted more of like a passer out of the backs and then, you know, work hard, head balls out of the air, don't make any mistakes at the back. And he just, he wasn't getting at an opportunity. Uh, Ended up at the switchbacks, played decently well, I think when he was on loan for a year, but I ultimately, and I think, Rightfully so. He didn't have much role at Colorado. And I think him staying with the Rapids, other than maybe economic reasons and being close to where he went to college, he needed to go somewhere else to venture outside. I've, I've, I've seen a couple games from him when he's played for New Mexico. I thought he's played well and everything. So I think, you know, he's a good player, but I think like a lot of those players Um, Mark and I have this conversation all the time when we talk about draft picks coming out of college or guys who get signed to homegrown deals, but then kind of crash out in MLS, you know, a guy who can earn a paycheck and have an impact on a team and grow as a person and contribute to the academy at the USL level. That's not a failure for me. So um, Sam Hamilton continues that from a legacy standpoint um, from uh, the DU pioneers. And I think he's a good player to have on. Obviously we'll be somewhat familiar with Michael Azira. So if nothing else, that'll be a first, that'll be a first good guy to introduce him to. And then, you know, make his round about the locker room, you know, with some, I don't know if they're shaking hands, but maybe doing the elbow bump as he learns everybody's <laughs> name. Right. Right. And then, uh, and then of course we, we got Josh Suggs and, uh, and Kavon Freider who spent some time both in the, with the switchbacks organization. Um, I would love to just hear like just your guys's, recollection of of either of these gentlemen just what you remember about their their play style and and you know you know i'll take any juicy information you want to get too (laughs) i don't have much to tell you all i can tell you about josh suggs is i have watched him in multiple games including uh open cup matches between um colorado springs and the rapids and new mexico and the rapids and thought to myself um that dude should be at the MLS level. He is, he's really talented. I'm not, I'm sure I have only seen his best matches. I probably missed some of the things where he, he's a little bit more USLE for lack of a better phrase, but hashtag USLE. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just, he goes at a hundred miles an hour. Um, He's, he's really, he's got great physical tools. Um, and he's 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 got fight, and I just really in, enjoy that about him. The only thing I you know, Kevon Freider, I remember also from uh, the Open Cup as as just being super talented. I think he scored a goal against the Rapids in in the Open Cup, and I could be wrong about that. But um, you know, I you know, in in when you mentioned him to me, I was like, huh, that's a name, and I I remember, and I wonder what he's doing right now. And lo and behold, he's playing in the Israeli Premier League right now. Um, for Maccabi Netanya, who are uh, have have had a couple of good years in that league, and, and this year um, they're a little bit further down the pecking order because the big boys from you know uh, the Israeli league has like a big four, kind of like the 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 British uh, the English Premier League, um, and they've been kind of for the last couple of years the big four have been on a, kind of a downward slide, and this year and last year uh, they've both reasserted their dominance. So. Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv is the is the big one, and um, and so I guess 
I, I'm interested uh, to find out, like, I, whenever I meet a player who has come back from Israel, um, I'm always interested to talk to them about what the experience was like. It's, you know, the, the Israeli league is super weird because the top teams could probably mix it up with the, the better teams in MLS and play at that level. But the bottom teams in the first tier of the Israeli system would have a hard time matching up with a USL League One side. I mean, they're bad. They, they can be, and that's how it is. I mean, that's that's a promo, promotion relegation system where those bottom two teams in the Israeli top league are not very good, um, and the two teams that get promoted up are 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 likely to be you know to be cash strapped that first year. So. I'm real. I, I hope we get to see Kevon Freider back in USL so I can talk to him about the experience. Yeah, everyone's definitely, uh, you know, like I was kind of mentioning offline, you know, in New Mexico United's uh, design creative team, they're really good about using the silhouettes, you know, to kind of promote who might be signing or who is a new signing, who's returning. And, uh, and, I, and I just kind of make the joke, but literally, like most people will just say freighter on every silhouette because <laughs> they they absolutely miss the guy. Um, I I had never really I don't think I really ever talked about this or I never really wrote about it, but you know I had the opportunity. So I guess this, this is kind of exclusive to this podcast, but um, like I had really the opportunity just to kind of ask him more about his experience here in New Mexico, and of course you know he really loved uh, being here in New Mexico. He really loved his teammates. You know, um, he had gotten a tattoo um, because I think of a bet he had lost to Josh Sugg. So he has, <laughs> so he has like a little bit uh, of that going on. But then also, um, you know, you know, Josh Sugg's the big hunter, right? And so, you know, so so Kevon Freider, you know, got to I guess be over for dinner, and you know, he ultimately was like, man, he really loved like uh, Josh's wife's cooking and whatnot, and um, you know, and and. and just just a, a, a great guy. I think one of my fondest Kavon Freighter presser memories um, is um, this, this. We have this young little gal. Her name is Little Miss Dalen on the pitch. She does her own little um, article, her own column. And, and I don't remember how old she is at the time. Maybe I, I could be wrong. So anyone listening, you know, I'm probably wrong, but I'm just going to say I think she was like eight or nine. We'll say but she could be younger. Um, she's just really mature. She asked Kevon Freider, she says, what's it like scoring a goal? Now, mind you, the rest of us are adults in the room. We're asking these two-part techie questions. And, you know, the players, they give you this really PC, very concise, broad answer about it's not about personal, you know, it's not about personal accomplishments, about the team, and they diffuse a lot of that stuff. But for her, he was like, he's like, do you like candy? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, it's like getting a piece of candy. He's like, you have one piece and you just want more of it, you know? And I just thought, man, I need to just start having the kids ask the answer, ask the questions in the pressers because from that, you can really just sort of extract the fact that obviously the guy loves to score goals. He wants to score them like any chance he can get another opportunity he's taking it right and i mean that's huge you know but that was one of my fondest ones and i think the other other moment too for kavan freighter was um so you know he's he's got a nice little shot selection as far as it goes when he takes pens right like he 
has he chooses what he wants to do, so to say. And so another uh, pundit had asked, you know, hey, like, what's the what's the secret behind, or what? How do you choose what shot you're going to take? And he says, he's like, you know, we all want to know um, the recipe to Chick Fil A sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just thought that that was funny. And and usually when I hit him up online here and there. I'm like, hey, man, can I send you a bunch of Chick-fil-A sauce? Because I see you in the kitchen making that jerk chicken with all that spice. <laughs> the way he's always cooking on Instagram, you always see him just making some spicy chicken, you know. And uh, and so, you know, Freighter, Freighter's awesome. Um, you know, one thing that was kind of crazy to learn was that, he, you know, that New Mexico just didn't offer him a contract. Like when his contract was up. They didn't. Um, they didn't offer him a contract. Um, you know, and that was that was from him. That's what he said. You know, he's like, you know, that just wasn't you know on the table, and that was just really surprising because I mean, you know, obviously a big fan favorite. I mean, I know one of his big spells for New Mexico United was just the the card trouble. I mean, he had an excessive amount of yellow cards, so he was always kind of hindered by, you know, if he gets one more, then he's suspended. You know, and he'd have to have obviously a good match where, you know, where he didn't get in any sort of, you know, altercation so that he can get a card kind of removed. And it was, a, that was just kind of the sort of the way that they had to use them, you know, and, you know, and, and I remember I wrote a particular article on Freighter about, you know, just how, how much control he showed because he was definitely sitting with four cards through several matches and he got through three critical matches for United with this sort of balance of cards, you know, and he came into a match that was going to be heavily physical and Troy just talked to him and said, Hey, like, you know, I'm going to use you the way I need to use you. You know, he's like, you're just going to have to kind of show some discipline and not, you know, not commit this, you know, this foul, you know, to get it taken out. And, you know, it was an amazing thing to see because he totally just worked under, under control and he was so effective in these matches, you know what I mean? And he went through three matches before, obviously they're like, yo, just, just give a foul. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was definitely very interesting. Um, but yeah, we definitely miss them. Uh, so let's kind of, let's kind of shift into some other just lighter topics as we kind of get towards the end of this pod. Um, you know, I had, I had kind of brought up just the relationship of New Mexico United to, to the switchbacks, you know, and in 2019 United had quite a, a good account in the state of Colorado. Um, as you guys probably remember, um, a couple of, of victories at switchbacks. It seemed like New Mexico had just probably moved into a Widener Stadium at that point, right? Just always winning on the road there. And then, of course, you know, playing the, uh, the Rapids in the Open Cup, getting a win there as well. Um, you know, the the supporters here wanted to make a Colorado State Championship shirt <laughs> that year. Um, they never happened, right? But But they should have probably taken advantage of it because last year – you know, Colorado Switchbacks got a win on United. It was the last of the four meetings of that particular season. And, uh, you know, and I, th- I think personally that it breathed some new life into that matchup, that the Switchbacks finally figured out United through through a progressive season like that. But I was just curious, like, you know, from your guys' vantage point, you know, obviously doing a lot of coverage of, you know, both the Rapids, but then also Switchbacks and all the rest of Colorado soccer, like, what have you enjoyed about United's presence uh, 
playing against Colorado teams and, and, and what have you like really seen like from those matchups, you know? They're a fun team to watch from a stylistic standpoint. They're a talented team to watch, and they're one that kind of has its own unique fun culture. You know, Mark and I can both lament watching USL games, championship or league one. And, you know, it's the, you know, there's a fractured supporters culture or supporters group situation. The club's playing in a minor league baseball stadium with really bad sight lines and doesn't really, you know, there's just, there's no atmosphere in the stadium. And yes, I know New Mexico, you know, plays in um, a minor league ballpark, but it's one of the better ones, at least from I've seen from a TV vantage point, but they're just, they're, they're unique from their Jersey to the actual club culture that you have having some chance in, English having some chance in Spanish that is their own thing that's not just copycat or milk toast that you see from other supporters groups copying each other so I think about the clubs that have their own unique culture their presence within the city and then that being obvious from the outside and I think New Mexico has that in ways that few expansion teams have had or that some clubs have taken years to actually get there you know I think the switchbacks had a little bit of a soft launch they had a really great first year but I think it you know the situation from what I remember just with Trish shoot was just kind of grinding and the money wasn't necessarily there and you know everything was kind of building towards them getting a new stadium and now they're getting that they have a new coach in Brendan Burke who I interviewed for the pod um, for holding the high line that will be dropping this week as well and so I kind of I just think the you know it's that club is very clearly of and for New Mexico Chris as you've talked about like there's a presence in the community like they have a like they have a community presence they exist they are not I don't want to name names, but like we, you know, the, you know, ownership groups that don't necessarily get the soccer community, aren't trying to find the soccer community, aren't trying to grow it and don't see themselves as like, we're more than just a club that then seeks to get revenue from the people who want something entertaining to do on a Saturday night. And so in that regard, I would put New Mexico up there in terms of a, how do you build a USL championship team that has a presence is impactful and moves the needle in their market outside the market and makes the league better. You know, it's New Mexico. I put Louisville up there. Um, you know, uh, Sacramento, obviously. And I think there's a lot of other clubs that, you know, could do worse by, you know, achieving that. And I'd say that including the switchbacks who it took a couple of years for them to figure it out and they're finally launching and everything seems to be coming up in line. But with that, it's going to have to come results on the field, which is something they haven't had. And so I think that speaks to even further a growing league with major financial complexities, um, you know, and, you know, there are teams coming in every year. There are teams folding every single year. It's a smaller percentage of teams that make the playoffs that you have an MLS and New Mexico came out of the bat and, you know, they played really, really well and they have a fun style of play and they, ups, you know, they cup set the Rapids. That's not anything to scuff at. And so I look at the New Mexico United willing like, I wish the switchbacks could have had that or been uniquely Colorado Springs in the way they haven't been. And I think they're finally getting there. But, you know, I think the, you know, I, um, you know, I'd, I'd be jealous of the of the of the culture and the things that you guys have. You guys have it better from an atmosphere, and this is a fun place to be with cool people who get it, and it's a family atmosphere that I would say at times even the Rapids have failed to live up to for a bunch of reasons, some of which are outside their control and some of which aren't. But <laughs> Mark says retweet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Matt said it well. Hey, so just lastly, you know, I think this is the. I think this is the the banter aspects of the of the podcast because it seems like anytime you get together with Colorado and New Mexico, you know the one topic that always comes up is about the chili. 
you know, I'm surprised there's not a chili derby yet. Maybe there will be this year because, you know, it, it just seems like a reoccurring topic. But, you know, I, I would love to hear I would love to hear Matt's and, and yours too, Mark, your your thoughts about Colorado chili. And what do you call a burrito that has Colorado chili and white gravy on it? Because, I mean, down here, you know, Christmas is red and green. But what is that called? Uh, it's a smothered burrito, Chris, um, and it is absolutely delicious. You are not a true Coloradan until you have ordered a smothered burrito at a Mexican Colorado establishment and then complained about the lack of green chili that's on it. If the green chili is not partially dissolving and like going into the burrito tortilla, you know, like the um, – uh, like like cell biology of like a cell like absorbing a piece of nutrient through its membrane then there's frankly not enough green chili on it um it's absolutely fantastic um we've got a number of really good options here i prefer mexico city which don't be confused here folks it is an establishment that's actually walking distance from Coors Field. If you are ever in town in Denver, say if we end up having an open cup match between the two Cubs, go to Mexico City. I believe it's off of either Blake. Help me out here, Mark. Do you remember? Is, no. It's a, okay, it's it's uh it's Blake or Laramie. I can't remember which street that it's actually awesome. And then get the fried tacos. They're absolutely fantastic. Get those. Get one of the combo platters. Maybe one of the small burritos that they have covered in green chili. Um, it's absolutely delicious, and um, it will be worth the extra coating on the arteries. I'm gonna flip the script on that. So I lived in Colorado. I lived in New Mexico. I lived in Taos, New Mexico, in 1999. So well before I lived in Colorado, which was from 2011 to 2017. And so um, for a couple things. One, I keep kosher, which means I can't eat the green chili in Colorado because it's pork green chili. And occasion, it's very rare to find vegetarian green chili in Colorado, which I think is an abomination. It's basically like saying we don't know how to make food. So we throw pork grease into the green chili because otherwise it won't taste very good. Whereas in New Mexico, when they make red or green, it's red or green, baby. It doesn't have to have pork in it. I'm sure there is, there are green chili uh, concoctions in, in New Mexico that are uh, predominantly pork. But, uh, you know, my experience was um, when you go to a Mexican restaurant or a New Mexican restaurant, you know, red or green doesn't necessarily mean you, you, it's mostly going to be a vegetarian choice. So, um I, I'm going to flip the script on Matt and basically say, like, y'all people in New Mexico, if you come up to Colorado for a game, do not go and try and eat green chili. <laughs> Poser. You will be me. What I'm trying to say, Matthew, is if you're a Coloradan and you go down to New Mexico for a rivalry game, eat your way across the state. There is some spectacular place. I went um, a number of years ago, my wife and I and, and our son when he was six months old. We were supposed to go to Israel with my school um, where I worked um, to uh, to take the trip. The the uh, the tenth uh, grade uh, goes to Israel for a month every year. We were supposed to leave, but of course Israel, as Israel is wont to do, got into one of its Middle East wars and started. There were a bunch of rockets being fired from Gaza to Israel and Israel to Gaza, and so we delayed the trip, which meant that we had nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. So my wife and I hopped another hop. We we hopped in the car, went down to Albuquerque. And uh, and we spent time in Al Albuquerque and Santa Fe and just the best time in the world and ate, you know, and, and uh, ate our ways across the city 
and burned big steaming holes in our guts from all of the spicy <laughs> food. And we were in heaven and the vegetarian options are better. And, you know, like you, there's probably like one vegetarian green chili restaurant in all of, of Denver, maybe two or three, but like in New Mexico, it, it ain't a thing. It ain't a problem. And they so, got a vegetarian option at illegal Pete's now. Is that true? Yeah, I, they've had it for a couple of years. I you can't go home. Illegal Pete's to me, Matt, and this is, again, I'm betraying, I've lived in many places. I'm betraying the Colorado trust, but also I don't imagine a lot of Colorados are listening to this podcast, but if they do, <laughs> you know, I'm telling the truth. I'm just speaking my truth, baby. Um, illegal Pete's is Chipotle with alcohol. That's all it is. There's nothing wow. special about Illegal that's, Pete's. That's the take right there. That's nothing, nothing special. Listeners, if you want to be the new co-host of Holding the High Line, please send your resume and a cover statement to rapids96podcast at gmail.com. We have immediate openings. I've been that's, fired. That's, Chris, that's you got me fired. That's the take. Well, gentlemen, we've we've had fun on this podcast. I've certainly learned a lot about Michael Azira uh, through two supporters, through two solid fans of the man. Um, listeners. Can I say one more thing? Yes, go for it. Yeah, real quick because we didn't mention it while the while the kit was on. I was gonna like just leave this out because I was like, ah, we're not gonna get into it. But I have to say one more nice thing. You know how I got this kit? This kit from Michael Azira, which is signed by Michael Azira when he was leaving. This it's a quick story. When he was leaving Chicago, he said, "Hey, um, they're getting rid of all my stuff. Do you want a kit?" Like I didn't write him; he wrote me, and I was like, "Yeah, that'd be amazing. Thanks." A couple weeks later, he goes, hey, did you get the kit? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, well, I asked our kit guy to, to mail it to you. I guess he didn't. I'm really sorry. Um, I'll send you one when I get home. And I was like, okay. You know, He felt bad about the free kit that some other guy didn't deliver to me. So a couple weeks later, he's back in Florida where he lives the rest of the year. And he mailed me one from, you know, like you could see his handwriting on the outside. How many other professional soccer players are literally like trying to live up to you know, a thing that the kit guy from the last club that he worked at let him down on. And so he mails you something, you know, he dropped in a post office box in Pensacola on his own. He's a dude, man. He's just the dude. I love it. And on that note, thank you for listening to this bonus segment about Michael Azura with Mark Goodman and Matt Pollard of holding the high line. We'll see you next time on the next episode of we are seeking strike podcast. Thanks Chris. Welcome. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today 
at IcarusFC.com.